Hi, I'm Kosambi and a super hearty welcome to Shelf, the building blocks of commerce by Mason. Here we talk about the most exciting trends and technologies that are reshaping the world of e-commerce from apps to headless to composable to low code to no code. Well, the list is endless. Join in. Welcome to Shelf Egan. Super excited to host you today. And uh, for our audience, we'd love to get started with a quick 30-second intro. What do you do and why do you do that? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I own an agency called Caravan Digital, and we help e-commerce businesses grow their traffic leads and sales. You know, we do that through paid search, paid social, and email automation. And uh, over the years, we've gotten decent at, you know, keyword research and on-site SEO as well. And so I can talk more about, you know, how SEO fits in with uh, Google ads and Google shopping and things like that. That's awesome. We'll dive into all that goodness a little bit later, for sure, during our conversation. But I want to start off today with something that you've been talking about a lot and we've been hearing a lot, GA4. Like, just, you know, give a primer to our audience here. What's happening? Why should they care? And what should they be doing right now? Yeah, great question. So, you know, for years, we've been using Google Analytics and uh, most recently Universal Analytics, sometimes called GA3. And um, we've sort of grown to take this for granted because it's a free website analytics tool. You put the JavaScript code, it's running in the background on your site, and you can see where did visitors come from, what pages did they go to, what actions did they take, and with, you know, additional sort of setup and customization, you can get things like revenue in there and even other events and things like that. And so many of us marketers have really been used to using this as just a free analytics tool. And we thought that would never change. We never had to do anything. And Google has kind of forced our hand. And so on July 1st, 2023, it's switched over like that old one doesn't work anymore. And so GA4, Google Analytics 4 is the new one. And I think it's just causing some hubbub in the industry because it's new screens, it's unfamiliar, it is a slightly different data model. Basically in the old one, you know, it was kind of based on sessions, which is like a visit to your site. What did someone do is they browsed your site. This one is more based on users and events. And so something like a scroll or a video view or a form submission is in a sense almost on equal footing with a page view versus in the old model, it was like you were on a page and then maybe you did stuff on the page events took place on that page. Now, just one way to think of it is there's all these events happening and you can kind of track all kinds of things out of the gates that people are doing on your site. And then I think what's really causing marketers to scramble is just where do I find the data? Where do I find the reports I used to look at? Most of what you need, I would argue, is still in there and it's just kind of a different way of going to find it. The report I really like is basically, uh, I gotta pull it up here, but it's called like session traffic, basically. I'm looking at the traffic and I want to see, you know, the default channel group. How did someone get to my site? Was it organic search? Was it paid search? Was it organic social, paid social? Was it direct? You know, and then what page did they land on? We used to have something called secondary dimension. So like the landing page, right? And now there's just like this little plus sign that's like hidden next to it. And you can still do what's called landing page and query string. And to me, if I had but one report, that's the one I would look at is, how did people get to my site and what pages did they land on? And then as I scroll to the right, I can see what did they do on the site? To me, it also hears like everywhere else in the industry, when you think about it, Google's also moving towards a more customer and a user first view, you know, sessions, etc. They don't really mean anything unless you have an understanding of the user. So this is actually, a, when you think about it, a pretty positive move in that direction. What do you think, Egan? Yeah, that's the idea. I think part of the challenge has always been I've got an iPhone here, I'm on an iMac here, I've got an iPad over there, I've got a laptop over here. Do the analytics platforms, whether it's you know Meta or Google, do they know that I'm me? 
maybe on this one, I'm on Safari, maybe I'm on Chrome on this one. And so stitching that all together has always been the big question. I mentioned how, you know, analytics is free for most of us. There has been a Google Analytics 360 for many years that is really for enterprise, very big organizations. It's extremely expensive. I think it's 20 or $30,000 a month or something, but it's like, supposedly that's where you get the good stuff and Google does have the data. So as we think about, you know, maybe I'm signed into Chrome on my browser, maybe I'm on Gmail, basically only the tech giants particularly Google and Facebook are really able to kind of stitch it together and say, this person is the same person over here. So these sessions, these visits to the site is all one user. So that's the promise of it. I don't know if we're there yet. I don't know if it's if it knows that me on Safari on my iPhone is me on Chrome on my iMac, you know, or my, or my MacBook. But that is part of the idea. You had also asked, you know, what should people do now? It's obviously got to get the code, got to get that set up and running. And then if we're in e-commerce, you know, we want to make sure revenue is getting sent in and any, any other sort of important event, we want to make sure we're tracking. So if someone's getting on your email list, let's make sure that event is getting sent into Google Analytics GA4. And let's mark that as a conversion too. For me, you can count events as conversions however you want, but my rubric is, did we get their information? It doesn't have to be a purchase, but if someone's getting on our email list or filling out our contact form, or potentially even live chatting with us, all of those things I would argue should be counted as conversions. They may not be macro conversions like a purchase, but they are micro conversions. They're on the path there. And so I just encourage everyone get that set up and start exploring NGA4 if you've not yet and just learn to be familiar with it and conversant with it. It's going to take us a little while because it's new screens and a new data model, but this is a, a major tool in our tool chest as digital marketers. You know, interesting thing when you're talking about, and I love this perspective that, you know, there are different kinds of conversions. It's so almost like every mini conversion is leading to your mega conversion of ultimately someone buying from you. So I'm going to digress a little bit and probably dig in over there and pull that thread a little bit. Is there a framework around which, you know, e-commerce stores or brand builders out there can think of how do I think of this conversion journey? And it's, as you rightly said, it's not just that one event of buying, but there's so many little nuggets that we are dropping as consumers along the way. Is there a mental model or a framework that I can apply to say that, hey, this is the conversion journey that leads to the end conversion journey. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it does depend a little bit on what are you selling? What's the price point? How much research does your customer persona do? The people that buy from you? So I'll give you an example. We have a client where they sell e-bikes and electric bikes are you know, $1,000 plus easily, sometimes $2,000 or more for nice ones. And so that journey is going to look different than someone who's buying, I don't even know, a t-shirt or razors or, you know, something that's, you know, sub $100. Those can maybe be a little more direct of someone's looking for shaving razors. They see maybe a Google shopping ad, they click on it, it looks good enough and they buy, you know, and if we're on something like Shopify, you know, and we're able to use shop pay, like all of those things are sped up on my phone. If I don't have to go and enter my credit card and so on, like maybe we can get click to purchase. But I think probably part of your question is, you know, this is changing of it's more and more rare that we click an ad and we buy and that's it. Right. And so despite all these tools, despite GA4, despite, you know, what Meta has in its analytics, I'd say it's getting harder. And particularly after iOS 14, you know, your iPhone will ask you allow to track across other websites, you know, 90, 95 plus percent of people say no don't track me as I'm using other websites. And that really took a lot of the data away from meta. So on Facebook and Instagram ads, like that's gotten much more difficult. And so it's partly targeting of we were relying on meta's AI to find us new customers, right? But also to stitch it together to say, here's the conversion, here's our return on ad spend, here's our cost per purchase. That's just getting harder and harder. 
So I think people are using other tools as well, things like Triple Whale and Northbeam and stuff to try to supplement what we're not seeing in, you know, Meta Ads Manager or in Google Analytics. But it all it all still is a bit of a guesswork. So let's say it's something that's a longer journey, like that e-bike, right? What we might see is someone's doing some searches for it. Maybe they're maybe they're looking at YouTube videos. Maybe they're comparing, you know, e-bike brands. What's the right e-bike for me? e-bike for, you know, older people, e-bike for heavier people, e-bike for taller people, you know, it's like they may have specifications they're looking for. So they're doing a lot of the research before the purchase is happening. And so in that more informational phase, you know, they may be coming across blog posts, they may search Google and see those. I think different demographics are shop differently. But for me, I like product comparisons on YouTube. And so that's a great place to see there. So it may be on someone else's channel. It's not even they're not even coming to your YouTube channel. They're just, you know, searching in the Google box and seeing videos come up or they're going right to YouTube and searching, you know, the number two search engine, which is YouTube. They're, they're going to product comparisons there. Okay, now I, I found this particular brand of electric bike, maybe I'm going to Google for that. Okay, I see the Google shopping ads at the top. I see the search ads at the top. The SEO results are pushed way down now. So even if you are working hard on SEO and doing great with it, you may be ranking great and you're not seeing the traffic like you used to see. So Google has really made it much more of a paid platform. And then it's, you know, this is an expensive bike. This is a $1,500 US dollar bike. Like you're not going to do that yet. You're going to do some more research. You may see remarketing ads. You may see fewer remarketing ads now because of the iOS 14, you know, allow not to track or ask to track, you know. So I think for that reason, what we've really been consulting with clients on and talking about on our podcast, I have a podcast called What's Working in E-Commerce. And something that comes up a lot is owned growth and just can we get people on an email list? Can we get them on an SMS text message list? If we can get people to opt in, then we can keep the conversation going. It's, you know, they're not going to buy on that first time. And so for our electric bike client, you know, we're looking at, let's have a quiz, you know, what are you going to use it for? How far are you going to have to ride your bike? How often are you going to ride it? You know, what kind of conditions are you riding in? Ask some questions, maybe do a quiz and then say, okay, get your free report, get on the email list. And then you have a chance to continue that conversation. We used to be able to do more with remarketing ads with that, but it's also better if we don't have to pay to bring them back to the site either. So I think it is multi-touch. It could be YouTube research, could be a Google shopping ad in there, could be maybe some Facebook remarketing, could be get on the email list and then a series of emails and maybe live chat discussions, maybe a phone call even before the purchase is done. So that, that's an example of much longer sales cycle and many more touch points. Yeah, no, I think that's a great example. And, you know, as you were walking through all these different channels, which as a brand owner, I got to make sure that I'm, I'm doing my research and I'm digging in and or an e-commerce manager or, or, you know, whoever is in charge of bringing more sales into my business. And uh, the interesting thing that you said is that, hey, if you can understand the intent and the why behind why am I looking for this e-bike at this point in time? Like, is it for me, for my family, for, I don't know, my, my partner? Or is it for commute? Or is it something that I just generally want to like be more sustainable and I don't want to drive around in cars anymore, et cetera, et cetera? I think like it's so interesting because once you get that, once you understand that and you engage and get, you know, the core of why someone wants to buy something, then the decision on what you can do next to actually help them convert, right? That's absolutely right. And that's that's going to inform, you know, your messaging and the channels you look at and how you target people. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Now pulling back out, I know we rabbit hole a little bit into that, but this is this is a super interesting part of the conversation. But now, now going back into uh, you know your work overall, Egan, you've worked with so many so many different brands and so much learnings over multi-channel sales and multi-channel optimization. You know, just give a little bit of background, interesting anecdotes, some brands, some stories that you know just stand out in your head, some experiments that worked or massively failed. Love to hear that both. Yeah, what's been interesting is sometimes clients will come to us with a particular channel in mind. They're like, we need SEO, our SEO slipping, it's not where it was, let's talk about that. And so we'll look at that and we get talking with them and we realize, you know, your email system is not communicating with your shopping cart, you know, like let's get you on Klaviyo so that the email system is actually a proper CRM and it knows when people buy and then we can send automated messages and so on. So we had a coffee company we worked with where their game was Google ads and SEO. And that was, and then they had, they had an email list, but it was, you know, it was kind of, we send to the whole list. We've got a big old list we built up over years, but there's nothing dynamic happening based on what people are doing on the site. And so with this client, we got them going on Klaviyo email automation and we're able to do browse abandonment, card abandonment, welcome flows, things like that, you know, VIP flows, welcome back flows, like whatever it is, it's like, you shouldn't just have your newsletter, like there should be messages being sent based on what's someone doing on your site. And so that requires a little more sophistication automation. But that setup, once you set it up, you get the flywheel spinning, you can continually, you know, add subscribers, add sales that way. And then on the it was interesting, this client was not really playing in the you know Facebook space. And so it's like, let's get going on Facebook ads. And this was before iOS 14. It was just like within a year, like it increased the sales a million bucks. Wow. Just like, just let's get this new channel working. And as soon as iOS 14 happened, like certainly we saw those return back to earth where they were getting 10 to 20 return on ad spend. Like put in a dollar, get 10 or $20 back. Unbelievable. That's how they were able to do that. But as soon as the data got cut off, like we're in a different world of, hey, we're back down to two, three, four times return on ad spend. And then it's looked back at the fundamentals of how much can we spend to get a new client and what kind of return on ad spend do we need to see to even, you know, make this profitable for growth. And so for me, that sort of story goes to show that like the opportunities are always changing. And that's what's challenging, at least as an agency of I'm building up a team. All right, we got a paid search expert over here. We got a paid social expert here, a Clavio email automation expert. And then it's kind of like, hey, is the opportunity over here on Snapchat and TikTok? And then it's like, do we need to skill up and learn that? Do we need someone else to be in charge of that? I think what we've really seen is Facebook, it doesn't have the tracking data. It doesn't have as much data to find you new customers, but it's also just, it's saturated. Like, you know, agencies have been pumping this one for years and marketers have been hearing all about it. And so everyone's advertising on Facebook. And so it's more expensive. And so we were working with a supplement brand recently and it's like, you know, good average order value north, you know, $100 or, or thereabouts. They're willing to pay that much to acquire a customer because they know they'll get repeat purchases. But even with that, as we were looking at it, it's tough to make it work of $2 per click, $2.50 per click to be in the feed and to be in stories, you know, to really where the eyeballs are and where the action's at. And then what's our conversion rate? Can we get that conversion rate two, three, four percent If not, like we're not going to hit that that target cost per acquisition. And so I think, you know, our experience has certainly been this is this has gotten a lot harder in recent years. And it's, it's due to a number of factors. Yeah. And how do brands like as someone who's an expert, you're the expert in how do you manage multiple channels, you already know that as a brand, you know, that's not my expertise, my expertise is literally, I know that there is a segment uh, maybe similar to me, maybe not, who actually want this certain product. Now my job is to figure out, are there a lot of them? <laughs> and can I just reach them? 
right? It's, it's so much work. I'm one day I'm wearing a product building hat, uh, then I'm a marketer, then I'm a you know evangelist, I'm a customer support representative, I'm everything. How do they keep uh, you know on top of all these changes that happen? Just like you said, at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Whether you're in-house at an e-commerce brand or at an agency, it's really like, where do we focus that we get the most bang for the buck? And totally speaking, frankly here, like it's very challenging because you can develop this deep expertise, say in, you know, old school Google ads, bidding cost per click, you know, setting our bids, do you know, setting up our negative keywords, structuring the campaigns. And then Google's coming out with Performance Max. And we've <laughs> I've got colleagues that do pay-per-click ads where one day they woke up and their client's ads were just changed over. No one asked him. No one asked the client. Just like we had years and years of intelligence in these campaigns that, you know, we've been building up and perfecting over time to get strong return on ad spend or, you know, a good cost per purchase. And Google's like, here you go. Now it's Performance Max. So I think there is a need to stay agile. I think it's good to keep it in perspective too of like, what was the world before e-commerce, right? Like we could say there was magazine orders and things like, you know, catalogs and things like that, but it was more retail. It was more brick and mortar. It was, the thought was, where am I going to put my store in my town? So people are going to show up, drive by, you know, and actually park and come in. Right. And so now it's relatively easy to throw up a site and to sell things online. Like that barrier to entry is lower but where is Main Street? How do you get people in your store, even if it's your virtual store? And so that's the big game. So the, the barrier to entry is lower, but there's still that question of what we used to call foot traffic is now like web traffic. Like how do you get the eyeballs? And as you're developing expertise in a particular channel, let's do it from Facebook, let's do it from Instagram, let's do it from Google. Other people are building that up as well and they're bidding up that cost if you're gonna be advertising. So oftentimes the opportunities are in those new channels where it's still the wild west and maybe the TikTok analytics and things aren't there yet or it's like, it's not as developed as the old platform Facebook, but maybe your cost per click is going to be much lower. So I think there has to be some realization that the game is going to keep changing, but you do need to kind of pick your spots and say, this is valuable. Our customer persona is over here. This is really where they're at. Let's focus on this channel and get it working before we do 10 other things. That's uh, at least that's the theory on it. And that's where even some of the examples that you gave around, hey, you know, put a quiz out there, get to understand your customer. For example, that you said, like when you gave the example of the e-bike, put a quiz, understand like why, how, what, what price point and stuff. Those sort of engagement levers, like where you actually understand your customer, that makes a big difference to take the decision on where's Main Street, right? Yeah. And if you think of, you know, when you do in-person clothing shopping, which again, I, I do kind of rarely now, like it's a different world, even in the, you know, in the past decade or two, right? That customer assistant would come up and ask you questions. Hey, what, what are you shopping for today? What are you doing? It's like, we're trying to replicate that sometimes with live chat. Maybe you're doing some form of quiz to segment people onto your email list. That's all great. But it's almost like we're trying to do the automated online version of that customer, you know, support person. So that's a huge part of it. And um, as ad costs go up, we like we got to do better and better with anybody who is coming to our site. And so that's all a piece of the conversion optimization. Absolutely. Next quick question before we dive into a little bit on, I want your thoughts before we wrap up on what you think is the future coming up with so many new products, but they're like 11,000 apps on 8,000, 9,000 on the last count. And I think nearing 11,000 products in MarTech and about 10,000 apps on Shopify App Store. It's a crazy world out there. Uh, but uh, before we dive in, I think top three tips, like when someone's thinking of conversion rate optimization, and I know that you know at a segment, like the kind of brands and industries that you work with, if you could give some top framework or just tips on for people across different segments, that would be great. 
Yeah. If you're looking at, you know, $2 cost per click versus 50 cents cost per click, like we've got it, we've got to be working on conversion rate. And so you got to get as many people as possible on an email list, probably on an SMS list too. That's kind of what we're looking at. So I think in terms of CRO, it's like, we really do need to understand who we're selling to, what they care about, and that needs to be on the top, whatever that is. And so in many cases, that is what about what's other people's experience with Amazon. We're trained of, you know, we're seeing all these reviews with anyone else. We're like, okay, what did other people think? And so whatever other people say is going to be 10 times more valuable than whatever we say about our products or whatever we're selling. And so that's social proof. Don't hide those reviews way down at the bottom that someone's got to scroll with most people on mobile. Like they may not even be seeing those customer reviews, get those way at the top, get those featured. And then any of the questions people are having, if you're selling on Amazon, here's the questions that people ask, you know, you can kind of see that section. You can look at your product reviews, look at your competitor reviews even. What are the concerns people have? Is this adapter going to work with my computer? Is this going to work with my headphones? Is this going to work with my guitar? Like any questions they might have where they would ask a salesperson, we have to preempt and we have to ask that and answer that ahead of time. So any concerns they have, am I going to have to pay for shipping? Let me know right now before I'm before I'm on the checkout page and I see, oh, I got taxes, I got shipping, I got all this other stuff too. Put that up front, really make the offer clear. Is there a money back guarantee? What's returns going to look like? Reverse the risk and things like that. So I think, you know, there's always design sort of things in terms of how do we make the page look good? But once we've got, you know, a good looking, let's say Shopify type page, or let's say it's a pre-sale landing page sort of thing where we're just kind of, here's the deals on the product. Then you click on to another page to buy it. Get those basics up top of, get that social proof up high, answer the questions they have and speak to the things they care about. I think that's really where the focus is at. I love that. And interesting thing that you said, which is a great segue to what I was going to ask next anyways, is you know, all these questions that we want to preempt and ask, like it's not probably, you know, that has to be iterative in some way, right? Because you can't have all the questions in the world pre-built and sort of you learn along the way as you're asking questions, as people are, you know, themselves, users are searching or asking questions on the internet, etc. about your products or your kind of products. Do you think, you know, generative AI can have a big impact on how do you iterate and get to these right sort of questions? And then, you know, stepping out even from there, like what is the bigger landscape change that you see? What are some of your day-to-day that you're seeing with Gen AI now. Yeah, that's pretty interesting, particularly on the email side. It's amazing what AI can create of give me a first draft, give me something that's pretty close to what we can send out as an email, you know, as an email campaign. It's it's amazing. So there, I think, is a big one in terms of what we need AI to do. I'm always kind of looking at this, you know, even as you're using chat GPT or something, it's sort of like, hey, can you go access this? It's like, no, my my cutoff was, you know, 2021 or something. And you're like, okay, when are we going to add the, you know, I want to, I want it to go to the web. I want to, I know there's other tools where you can do that piece. So it's, it's always a, can we feed it more to teach it even more is my thought. And so in that example of how do we write copy for a product page, to me, it's that piece of, I'm going to feed in all the customer reviews on our products on Amazon and on our website. And then I want to feed in all the, you know, good ones, the one stars, the three stars and the five stars from uh, competitor products too, maybe on Amazon or their website. I want to see what the actual people say, do some kind of, it's not even just sentiment analysis. It's like, what's the stuff that people hate? What's the thing they're frustrated with? Because we want to bring that to the top and say, you won't be frustrated with this thing. And if there's something that people consistently love about whatever they bought, it's like, we want to hammer on that. And so it's, it's kind of quantitative and qualitative. It's like, what are the keywords? What are the topics people are bringing up as they talk about the product? And then 
you know, how often is that coming up too? So I think as if AI can crunch that, that's going to be extremely valuable. It's already totally amazing what it's doing in terms of writing. It could be ad copy, could be email copy, things like that. But to even make it more specific and maybe even do some of that customer research piece of, you know, what do these people care about? What might they be concerned about to anticipate some of that? That'll be amazing to see because there's so much money in it. I have no doubt that it will continue to iterate along there. We also mentioned live chat. I think the chat bot thing, I think it's only going to get better and better. And it's it's not crazy to think of. We're just going to have an AI chat bot on the site and it's going to talk to people and it's going to make sales for us. I think that's, if it's not here already, it's going to be here very soon. Yeah, love that. What's your take, even on probably 10 years, 15 years into the future, if we can even have a glimpse of that, what does world of e-commerce look like for you? Yeah, it is hard to imagine even three years out these days. So five or 10 just feels totally crazy. I do wonder about, you know, we're seeing a little bit more with augmented reality, seeing more with virtual reality. If that hits like people are thinking it could, like that's going to totally change things of what is that space? What is that platform? Obviously, Meta is trying to jump ahead and be, and be in that world. And some you know other big companies are as well. Where someone's sees the ads where someone sees, you know, the messaging or the marketing, it may be up here. Like it, it's not going to be on the screen anymore. It's going to be, you know, in potentially in a headset there, watch it. Right. So that I think it really could be going that way. We see some interesting applications now, even of augmented reality of, okay, I'm buying a dresser or some other furniture and I'm going to like hold up my phone and see it positioned in my room and see what that would look like. I think that's only going to grow, but it's, it's pretty amazing what some brands are doing with that. But even the VR piece, to me also brings up what kind of products are we going to need? Like if we're living in the metaverse, what sort of physical things made of atoms does someone need to bring to me? Like, I don't know. So it depending on how crazy it gets, like it could get really far out. I think another big question is just most of us are just little boats bobbing in the ocean and we're playing against these big giants, right? That's the big tech companies. That's Amazon. And so, you know, that's Amazon, that's Facebook, that's Google. And, you know, to some degree, Microsoft, it's just like, how much dominance do they have? Like, there's kind of been a lot of frustration, I think, for vendors selling on Amazon. And some people even talking about, do we pull off? Do we just do we just go direct to consumer through our website? Is it worth playing in here when our products are getting ripped off? There's all these concerns, like it's not vendor friendly, and so on like that. So to me, that's a big question, too, if we're talking about this sort of brave new world where the, the barriers have been removed, anybody can kind of set up shop. And it's just a question of, can you get people to come by? I think it's going to be, can the small person still get in? I think there's always going to be niches within there that are just too small or you have to be too agile to capitalize on them or the, and the big companies don't go after them. But on a lot of those big products that a lot of people buy, you know, whether it's things like household goods or groceries or something like that, groceries has always been a tough one, but it's like, I'm guessing, you know, there's going to be economies of scale where very big companies handle that. And so it's going to be all the more important to like, find these little niches and figure out how to reach people, you know, with those types of products. So very curious to see where it's all going to end up. I, I have no idea. It'll, it could be interesting where maybe in a few years, we're not using keyboards anymore. And then maybe beyond that, maybe the screen is gone too. So this is our interface right now. We're used to a mouse and a keyboard and a screen, or maybe we're used to, you know, phone. And so even the way we're interacting potentially with the AI assistants and stuff could totally change. I think it's all very much open and uh, let's come back 10 years and see how we did. <laughs> for sure <laughs> for sure we will before we close thank you Egan, so much it was so so interesting and uh so insightful and i love that analogy about little boats bobbing in the ocean and then the big uh, you know titanic so not titanic but the giant ships mm -hmm. well maybe <laughs> maybe 
maybe Titanic too coming along the way. Love that. Before we leave for the day, though, um, a quick little rapid fire. We just do that with everybody, and this has nothing to do with e-commerce. Hopefully, so just two, three questions, just for the audience to, uh, you know, know Egan and a little quiz, if we may. So, you know, I just understood that you are a yogi. So, so, and which which brand do you recommend for great yoga gear? Oh boy. I I don't know if I'm super versed in that. I don't even know what I have. I have a, a rather old mat that is currently drying out. So I don't know if I can uh, recommend any specifics, but uh, a ratty old one does the job as long as it does. So there you go. There you go. A ratty old one. I see a bunch of book recommendations and, uh, you know, reviews too. So what's the top three books that you look at that? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the big shelf. So top three. Hmm. This is in general or for this could be business and e-commerce. Oh, no, in general, in general for life. Books for life. That's good. You know, for fiction, it's like I've got very, very particular tastes that maybe don't match everyone else's. Like I love 1984 and Brave New World and Far Out stuff like that. And even um, love that. Infinite Jest and um, Blood Meridian. Those are all favorite. Those are favorite novels. But you kind of have to be maybe into fiction for some of those. I got a lot out of this is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People was good for me. You know, I used to work in a corporate job and I used to not like it. And I used to, you know, not be an effective person. And I learned more about why. So for me, at least that helped. You don't necessarily even have to read the book. I think maybe even, you know, watch kind of the the YouTube, kind of these cartoon versions of what, what are those principles? I think those are very helpful. Big fan of habits, any of the habit books of, you know, The Power of Habit or Atomic Habits or any of those, I think. I think that's such a fundamental part of our lives of taking control of that and learning how to change your habits. And then something along the lines of Miracle Morning. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to follow that book exactly, but I think having some morning routine has been just a total game changer for me of try to exercise, you know, meditate, journal, read. I don't hit all those every day, but uh, it changed my life to be able to do that. So I'm just a huge advocate of those things. So big fan of lots of personal development books. I could go on and on. But I think once you start down that path, just keep reading those. And after a while, you'll you'll kind of start to hear the same things of there's some fundamental things that are that can really bring you to the next level. So it's very exciting. And I'm yeah, huge fan of those happy to make more recommendations if people ever want them. I think we'll we'll bring you back in for a book review where we go through like 10 books and the reviews. I'd, I'd really love to do that. So if you're game, we'll definitely plan that out for sure. And <laughs> All right. Love it. Final one before uh, you leave for the day, like your song that's on repeat or on loop for you at the moment or forever. <laughs> All right. So, you know, Grateful Dead just kind of wrapped up this huge tour and I got to see them in Chicago. It's called Dead and Company and they play with John Mayer playing Jerry Garcia's old guitar parts. So there's a great song called Help on the Way, which I'm just obsessed with. And I pulled out my old electric guitar and I've been learning this song and it's in an unusual key and it's just total, it's totally amazing on guitar. So check out Grateful Dead, Help on the Way. Help on the Way. And we're going to play a little bit of it right after this. <laughs> Thank you again so much. This was so much fun. We'll hopefully bring you back and we'll definitely hit you up for that, uh, you know, 10 book and top 10 books and reviews uh, one of these days and yeah uh, stay tuned everyone for the next episode we'll link out Egan and his uh, team right there in the show notes Egan if you can just close with if people want to reach you how can they reach you yeah you can find me at Egan E-A-G-A-N at caravandigital.com find me on LinkedIn I'm Egan Heath E-A-G-A-N H-E-A-T-H or just our website caravandigital.com and you can check out our show called What's Working in E-Commerce thanks so much for having me on this was great 
This is great. Thank you. And that's it. That was awesome. And thank you folks for listening in. If you enjoyed the chat, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast right here. And of course, do hop on to Mason at www.getmason.io. That's www.getmason.io. We got more ace in the hole insights, conversion tips, and just everything that you need to scale your e-commerce brand. Catch you next time.